Welcome to the Marketing for Startups podcast by Ugly Ventures. I'm your host, Victoria Hajar, and the co-founder at Ugly Ventures, a place where entrepreneurs like you can find the tools and capital to grow your business. I'm so excited you're here. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm so happy that you're here. This episode is going to be a little bit special. I wanted to peel back the curtain a bit and share a little bit about my story and who I am. Uh, We're a couple episodes into season two of the Marketing for Startups podcast, and I realized that I never actually shared much about myself. And so I've just been feeling this kind of pull on my heart to sort of open up a little bit about myself, which I'm not usually comfortable about doing, but I, I thought it could really be helpful in lending some context as to why I'm doing this podcast and, you know, who the heck am I to be sharing any information about marketing with you all. Um, as a side note, it's just really like touched me. A couple people have really reached out and said how much they're enjoying the podcast. And for anyone out there, like that listens to, obviously you listen to podcasts, but it just is so, so meaningful to hear those comments because you sort of put things into the world. And since podcasting is not so much of a social medium as putting things onto Facebook or Instagram, we have immediate feedback. Um, it's always so nice to hear. And so as this podcast grows, I think it's an important episode to share uh, today who I am, right? So I'm Victoria Hajar, um, but you know, my friends and family call me Tori. Um, and I'm just going to start at the beginning. I grew up in New Jersey and went to Fordham University in New York City. While I was in New York, I was so like hungry and eager to just start working and being productive and like learning and growing. I remember my freshman year, I was like, <laughs> I ended up getting myself into an internship at MTV before I was even allowed to do enter- internships through the school. So like I, <laughs> I remember I snuck uh, sort of snuck like doing the internship for a couple weeks before they realized I couldn't get the paperwork done from the school and I wasn't able to finish it. But that's how eager I was to sort of get into the working world and start getting real world experience. And when I was able to officially do internships, I ended up uh, interning at Parents Magazine, which was uh, in the same biz- uh, building as YM Magazine, which no longer exists. But for those of you that are old might remember Young Miss Magazine, because <laughs> I read it a lot when I was a teenager. Um, and when that internship was done, I ended up moving to A&E, which is the television station that has the History Channel and the Biography Channel. And so I interned there in the programming department, and that was just such a formative experience because I was in a really corporate setting and I was an assistant to four or five producers and I was dealing with talent and we were reviewing um, pitches which people would submit um, as videos so I was like having the first pass at like you know new show like reading scripts and and looking at um, 
gosh, I'm so like in the startup world though, I forget what they would call them, pitch submissions, or I forget exactly what they were called, but I would screen the videos and all those things. And the internship went really well and I ended up getting a job there after university. And so all in all, I was at A&E maybe for about three or four years, which was a really, really wonderful experience. But at the same time, I became involved with my first entrepreneurial pursuit with some girlfriends from college. We started a nonprofit called Cocktails with a Twist that was just monthly events, you know, cocktail events that would benefit the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And I had built that um, with my dear friend, Natalie. Uh, And it was the first time I was exposed to building something from scratch. And I'll, I'll never forget those meetings with, you know, those basic things of like building the brand. We were getting our logo together and the name and sort of like our business plan, working out the budgeting and all that stuff. And there was a, like a, a decent amount of, of girls on the, like on the committee, right? I believe there was like maybe five or six of us and we had, you know, weekly or biweekly meetings and had these monthly events. And it was just fascinating to me. Like a whole new world opened up to me going through that. And it was really fun. Um, So that was sort of my scene after college. And what ended up happening was being at any being in a corporate environment something came over me and i just became absolutely stir crazy i became stir crazy to leave the tri-state area you know like growing up in new jersey and going to school in new york like i had been in that area my entire life and i just became obsessed with the idea of leaving the country and there's a couple of things in my life that kind of led me to the decision, but I decided that I wanted to move to China. That was it. And I remember putting a calendar, like a China inspired calendar in my cubicle at A&E. And I would look at it every single day and just was so fixated on just escaping. And I didn't really have like a big vision for like, long-term what I wanted to do there all I knew was that like I had to go and the feeling became like stronger and stronger and stronger as the weeks progressed like from the moment I got the idea to like the time where it was like unbearable I had to had to leave and I just made it happen like I started researching like ways to get there and um started understanding like you know teaching English abroad was like a really wonderful way to to kind of travel and have like your expenses paid for have a job have some kind of organization so I applied to several different programs and I ended up getting accepted into one that would bring me to Beijing and this was in two like about 2007 2008 yeah right around then um, it must have been 2008, right? So I get accepted and I am just over the moon excited and I quit my job and a friend of mine was working at UBS 
the bank. And I ended up getting a gig at UBS and worked there for several months to, and saved up money for my trip. And that was another really wild experience, like going sort of from entertainment to banking. And in 2008, if you remember, I was sitting in my office at UBS, like when the crisis, the housing crisis happened. And I remember um, just like the panic and um, sort of like the financial advisors that we worked with, like sitting down with us all and like really explaining like what had happened. And everyone was like really lovely and they loved, they loved me. I mean, it was like this dream job. It was more money than I could ever have imagined in a time that was so full, like full of so much uncertainty. And I was there for a couple months and I remember when I told them I was, you know, they knew I was leaving. It was a short term project. And when I was leaving um, to move to China, I just, I got this incredible offer to stay. Everyone was trying to convince me not to go to China. I remember one of the like head admin in the department was like, the kids in China don't need you, we need you. And it was this moment where I saw so clearly like my life, like the fork, right, in the road. I could have stayed and built a career for myself in, in banking and made really good money. But to be honest, it like wasn't even like a thought in my mind. Like I did not even think twice. Like I was on this path and this unbelievable pull to go abroad. So packed up my things, left my family, my friends and everyone behind. And I like flew to China without knowing a stitch of Chinese. It was like something beyond me, like pulling me there. I ended up landing and right off the bat being absolutely scammed. Like I landed and I was at the airport and this gentleman from the university I was going to teach at basically like picked me up and carted me off to another terminal to take another plane to a different city that I didn't even know what the city was, I didn't know anything, but they said, no, you don't have a job here in Beijing. Like we need to send you to Yentai. Now Yentai is famous in China for having really delicious apples. That's like all I know about Yentai. <laughs> and I, I don't know, like it's just incredible because I was absolutely alone. And I remember just fighting like, you're not sending me on another plane. Like I'm here, I have this contract. I have a job here in Beijing. You're going to bring me to Beijing or else I'm just going to turn around and leave. And I fought with this guy in the airport. He ends up bringing me to the director of the school. And we sat in this conference room for like an hour and I just refused to be carted off to another city. And somehow, it worked out and my job in Beijing was secured and my housing was secured and they made a lot of threats and it was really scary, but I just said, no, I'll just like turn around and go home, like done. So I finally get into my apartment in Beijing and there was none of the other teachers kind of had arrived yet. I remember going for a run in the morning around campus where I was living 
and there were dirt roads and there were like chickens everywhere. But I was like a metro, couple metro stops from the Forbidden City, which is like the center of Beijing. And it just is just so incredible because over the years to see like how much it has developed, like I was kind of on the outskirts of the city, but within like two years, you know, those dirt roads were paved and, you know, the Starbucks popped up across the street, but just incredible. So time teaching in China was really awesome. But of course, like one of the first things I ended up doing when I moved to China was starting another business, which I had a wonderful partner named Ali. Uh, and I just, we just got together and started brewing, like, what could we do? What could we build? And it was 2008, 2009. And we were, um, really aware that there was an opportunity leading up to the Olympics because they were welcoming so many foreign travelers to, to, to Beijing and to China. And so we thought there was a big opportunity um, to help with marketing, you know, copywriting, promotions, to, you know, any business that would be catering to foreigners. So we put together a business plan, Little Red Book, designs um, was the company name and we started blindly pitching to these you know Chinese businessmen these two like she was just blonde freckled blue-eyed girl and you know I'm just like this you know Middle Eastern Jersey girl and you know we come up with these great like campaigns and promotions and plans and proposals for these businesses and of course like they just you know, met with us and took all our ideas and sort of didn't pay us. We never really got a paying client out of that company. But it was a really, really good experience. Like, just a wonderful experience of just making something out of nothing, putting yourself out there, you know, having the confidence to, to talk to business owners, to people that, like, you know, didn't take us ser seriously. Um, and we ended up, you know, we did end up throwing some parties and raising some money and things like that, but we never really turned it into a viable business. Um, but my time in Beijing was absolutely incredible. And then I ended up meeting someone um, who was from New York and he had gotten a job in Shanghai, uh, in Shanghai. And so I, you know, without even like a doubt in my mind was like, yep, that's where I'm gonna move to next. So after a year in Beijing, to my family's like chagrin, I ended up moving to Shanghai. And this is just, this is really where the story begins for me because I was teaching English still. I ended up getting a teaching position in Shanghai. But I just, I knew that teaching wasn't for me. Like I respect teachers so much. And I was teaching college students in Beijing and that kind of I, I could get into, like I, I I liked teaching the older students, but when I got to Shanghai, I was teaching kindergartners, and it was just not my bag. Like, they were so cute. The kids were lovely, but every day I was, like, so exhausted, and it just wasn't my calling. And so I knew, again, like, I had to start something. So I ended up starting my first, like, real company, which is called Hazel and Marie, which was um, jewelry company and we well not not an original idea 
but of course pearls were really inexpensive to source in China so we um, had a pearl company my partner Katie and I and we had so much fun we did this for about five years we did this business and we wow we went to factories we we like <laughs> we sourced like directly from like distributors we we had you know our designs come to life we tried doing sort of a multi-level marketing um business model we were selling to brides we would sell a heck of a lot of pearls when we came back to the states it was just such an education built a website like you know learned how to do photography and make brochures and this was sort of like all before social media so we really weren't all that much into social media at that point but it was around like 2010 11 12 that we were really working like all of our hearts and soul in that business um but in the interim i stopped teaching english to children and this is where my uh real experience starts with startups um, and so in Shanghai, I ended up linking up with two real estate developers that were building boutique hotels. And this was just the most incredible experience. I ended up um, consulting for the hotel called Urban, which was China's first, first carbon neutral hotel, and eventually became um, marketing manager and marketing director and then started working on um, building brands for other boutique properties that these real estate developers were creating had contact directly with the investor so it was really an amazing amazing experience being thrown together with just like the innovation right the power behind like entrepreneurship making something truly out of nothing and I had the honor to work with like some of the world's top branding agencies we were working with china's top you know um developers like construction teams and um, property developers you know i'd go i remember a memory of going you know with the hard hat out to the new site to like see the bones of the next property and just it was incredible and so the the founders that i worked with you know they were really savvy about real estate but they were also running these properties and sort of trying to find the right team to come in to sort of take it over and that transition period of like getting all the sops together to create you know the operate the operating system for the brands and the hotel group was a job that i did like hand in hand with the owners um with the investor like it was incredible it was incredible and it also just was my crash course in real execution of marketing you know like building the strategy executing the strategy working hand in hand with the sales team um, and we did incredibly well. I mean, we were cited as, you know, in the New York Times. We had 
events we hosted with Richard Branson, with Paris Hilton. Um, I remember when the, I think it was Spike Jones was filming the movie Her. It was shot a lot in Shanghai. And so the whole cast stayed at my property and we hosted them, um, you know, a party on the rooftop and Joaquin Phoenix and like all of the talent were hanging out at, you know, my hotel and Jessica Alba came and it was just, it was wild. It was just this amazing bride, you know, PR events. Um, and this was really when social media started to flourish. And I remember being so interested in how we could utilize social media for the hotel. And so we started actively, um, you know, using business accounts on social media. And it was so unheard of. This was like 2012, really. It was so unheard of that actually CNN ended up writing um, a piece on my marketing strategy for the hotel and why we were using social media for business. And they had cited like a couple other hotels in the area that were doing the same. But it was incredible, just incredible. But after six years of being in China, I got this poll. The same poll that brought me there was bringing me back home. And I just knew it was time. And by divine intervention, the founder of a... Um, of a hotel group that my boutique hotel, Urban, was a part of, had recruited me to come and open the U.S. market. So the hotel group was, it was a sales, marketing, and distribution platform for boutique hotels around the world. And essentially what it was is that, you know, the boutique hotels, as they're smaller, they don't really have the money to put behind marketing to be able to compete with like, you know, Four Seasons in the Shangri-La. So there are different companies like the one that I worked for that would bring smaller properties together and kind of pool, um, you know, pool together to sort of join like the international fairs to sort of reach out to the travel agents and all of those things. and and sort of like create a brand around the collection of different properties. So I worked for that company for the next, wow, like three or four years. And that brought us back to New York. And it was uh, really tough, really, really tough. And I think I would love to do like a whole other episode about returning after being an expat. But I think one of the more difficult things I went through was coming back from China to the U.S. And they talk about reverse culture shock, and it was definitely something that we experienced. But my work with Chic Collection, which was the name of the company, was another wild ride. It brought me to work with fantastic brands like um, Andes uh, and Virgin Limited Edition Collection and you know, Hyatt properties and things like that. So it was really, um, well, Andes is a Hyatt property, but it, uh, it was a really great exposure, just like something completely different. But what we also did in that uh, company was we were developing a social network. So we had this really wild idea to, 
create a social network that brought together hotel concierge and connect them with, with clients, with guests and influencers. And so we went on this amazing journey to build out this social platform. Lots of content, uh, you know, we designed the interface. The main investors of that company were from Dubai. So I had the amazing opportunity to go to Dubai with the team and we sat for about a week with the consultants from France that were, you know, building out our platform and we redid our brand and all of the value prop and we sort of built the whole project from scratch, which was so amazing. Um, and we were full steam ahead with that project. And a couple of years after that launch, we, um, the main investors, these Dubai oil guys, were not too keen on sort of, and didn't really understand what the project was about and ended up kind of putting a kibosh on it, which was really, really difficult. And that, uh, that project, when it died, the main investors had sort of kicked out the original founder of the company, moved everything to Dubai, and I was faced with this decision they were inviting me to come to Dubai and carry on my position from their main headquarters or not. And it was another really interesting fork in the road, but it wasn't a difficult decision because my heart, like nothing pulled me to go to Dubai. Um, and I believe the reason is, is that, you know, I had lost my dad about a year after we moved back to the States from the U.S., uh, from China, which I think was another just divine intervention because I hadn't been with my dad for so many years. And then I had this wonderful, full on, rich, beautiful year with him when we moved back to the States before he passed away, which is just like the biggest gift I was ever given. And I think that was what sort of tugged my heart to come back to the US from China because I loved, loved living in China. I loved every minute of it until something switched inside me that brought me home. And when I was brought with the idea to go to Dubai, my gut just didn't, you know, it just wasn't there. So I, Oh, wow. Wow. I'm missing a big part of the story. Probably the most beautiful part of the story, which is when I was in Shanghai, I met my wonderful Spaniard husband who is just so fabulous and has been on this wild roller coaster with me all these years. But, um, but when the Dubai thing wasn't going to be a reality, my husband had gotten a job opportunity that brought us to Mexico. So we were in Mexico and I was still doing work for the brand, but it just wasn't going to have a future. And we kind of hit this point where, you know, I was going to be out of a job. So I had an opportunity. And so, you know, we were in Cancun, which is a little bit of a strange place to look for work. 
um, he's in logistics, so made perfect sense for him. He was, you know, taking care of a lot of the international shipping that came that brought, you know, things to hotels and resorts. But for me, um, I had this choice. You know, I could go back on property, like go back to a hotel and and be marketing there, um, or I could do something on my own. And that was two thousand. 17 that I decided to start my own thing and I had nothing but this Rolodex of boutique hotels from my previous job and I just picked up the phone and I said you know I am experienced marketer I've worked in hotels for you know the past seven eight years that that at that time and you know, do they need any help? <laughs> and so I started working as a fractional CMO for boutique hotels. I ended up connecting with a real estate developer in Playa del Carmen, and we created some incredible brands, incredible boutique brands together, which was another awesome experience, like seeing, you know, the bones of the hotel and, and being involved with the interior designer and building the brand and the logo and the values and the pillars and the, all of the, the whole nine yards, the marketing strategy. Um, so it was a wild ride in Mexico, still very hotel focused. And then that opportunity sort of came to an end for my husband because he had gotten another an offer to come to Miami, which is where we are now. And we moved without kind of hesitation because we knew that Mexico, that particular part of Mexico wasn't like a long term for us, place we wanted to stay. And I got to Mexico and I had, you know, I still had all my clients and I sort of kept working with my clients there. And I diligently started thinking, you know, how do I get into hotels here in Miami? There's a lot of hotels here. But I had this itch to sort of do something different, like... I really wanted to see if my marketing experience could apply to different industries. So I opened myself up to just possibilities and I went out and networked my little fanny off and I ended up starting, um, starting to lead some women's groups because I became curious about, you know, female entrepreneur entrepreneurship because I had worked a lot with men sort of my entire career at that at that point and what ended up happening was a lot of really cool experiences in the past you know five six years that we've been in Miami I've worked with you know in F&B with food and beverage like I've worked with um, you know, thought leaders, interior designers. I've worked with e-commerce brands. And what has really emerged for me, which has been the most exciting thing, is the basic framework for marketing that is really applied across the board, no matter what the industry or what you're selling or how you're selling it, right? There's nuances to each niche, right? That a, of business that you have, but there are fundamental principles of a marketing strategy that is applied no matter what your business is. 
And this has been the thing that really, really started interesting me because I feel like my whole career has been, because it's been in startups, has been a lot of figuring it out on my own. And I've had really great mentors, but I haven't had that traditional corporate experience where, you know, your manager just tells you how things are done and then that's the way that you do them. And then you teach the person after you to do the same way. But for me, I've always had this great opportunity to just, you know, put together the processes and systems that I think are most efficient and just like ferociously learn from books and from experience and from coaches just like how this whole marketing thing works and I remember one of the clients that I ended up acquiring during the past couple of years was an, a marketing agency and I was so excited to work with that client because we were building out some sales processes right and just like with the marketing hat on trying to figure out how we can build out some sales processes to sort of you know work hand in hand with the marketing program they were doing and that was such a really cool way of like pulling back the curtain and saying okay on an agency level like i'm often hiring agencies when i've been working as a fractional cmo or on you know in-house with a company but i had this great opportunity to see how the agencies work behind the scenes and that agency experience further supported this thesis of the the framework, right? The fundamental framework of marketing because the systems they had for onboarding all different kinds of clients from all different sort of walks of life and budget and all these things um, followed this very stringent process that I just recognized through my own processes, through my own experience and taking pieces of theirs that I felt were more efficient, sort of taking pieces of my own, I've been able to develop this really, really clean, tight system for developing the marketing strategy and the processes and systems to execute it, right? And to measure it. And these are the fundamental things that I just have been so passionate about sharing with people because it's freaking frustrating. Like, if you don't have these frameworks, like marketing can be so overwhelming. And especially now, like, okay, I started marketing, like now it's probably 15 years ago and the landscape has changed so much. And I think that we founders, like founders that I work with now, they're so caught up with sort of the one social platform or the next social platform or, you know, doing some sort of tactic and there's a real sort of mystery behind like how it all comes together to actually make you money and as I mentioned I was I've been leading communities so I first started with FemCity which is a great international organization that is you know supports women in business and entrepreneurship um but I started to get really, really interested in funding and investment. And especially because, you know, where I live in Miami is just such development and investment and technology is just booming. And it's so interesting. Um, 
that I sort of stopped my work with FemCity and I started working with an organization called SoGal. And I lead the South Florida chapter of SoGal, which is an organization that, again, is just supporting founders and funders. The The mission is to, to really create the next generation of founders and funders. And being in these communities, I have just heard the struggles of founders and it always comes down to marketing. Like it is always a question of marketing because you can, you know, you can source your product well, you can have a really great idea, you can understand customer service or you can understand how to code, but if you can't market and make money from your product or service, then you don't have a business. And so I've seen that this is where people get the most step, like stuck. So to conclude this very long story, I think this is going to be the longest episode I've ever recorded. Um, I still work as marketing director in fractional CMO. I actually have taken on a really interesting position now where I'm working with a, you know, eight figure business and I have an unlimited budget, an amazing team. And it has been really overwhelming sort of to be in a situation where I'm not, um, I'm without limits, right? I'm without limits. Um, and I can experiment and test anything that I want to. It is amazing. And while it's been so busy sort of getting into that world, I've been still so pulled to keep going with this podcast and keep going to give information to founders because I'm in this really privileged position now where I can see, you know, how companies get to multiple seven figure months. Um, and what are the tactics that I'm employing? What are the strategies that I'm doing to make it happen? You know, so we reach our goals. And I don't think that it's uh, fair that there's people in my position that have this uh, access to just like the top talent and have that full budget. I don't like the idea that I'm doing that in a, in a way that's divorced from the founders that I've always worked so closely with because in every project that I've worked with, it's what I'm doing now is sort of what I've needed to figure out, right? Like to figure out for clients, right? And when the budget's not there, how do we work around it? And, you know, how do we as scrappily as we can just make it work? Um, And so I've seen both sides of the coin and I think it's really interesting now to be in a position where okay, I don't have to be so scrappy anymore to get the results. And I'm seeing some really interesting things that are proving like theories that I had about ads and how much money do you have to put about, you know, behind ads. And, you know, at what point do the guys that have all the budget in the world, you know, you go into a situation and you say like, okay, but there's still some you know, there's still gaping opportunities here because, you know, not everyone does everything perfectly, right? There's always room for improvement. So I have a lot of really great, juicy information to share with you all and awesome stories that I can keep telling if you're interested. Um, 
but yeah, that, that sort of concludes my, my story. And now, you know, I'm happily living here in Miami with two little boys and my wonderful Spaniard. And we just are so blessed and so full of joy to be <laughs> in the sunshine, you know, close to the beach and um, really getting to enjoy our lives. And I just feel that all of this journey that I've been on, right, and all of the experiences that I had has been leading me to like what I'm doing right here at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday with everyone sleeping, recording in the kids' playroom this podcast for you because I will keep on sharing um, the strategies and the systems that I that I use and the efficiencies that I uncover to help you because the women that I serve in my community and hopefully the female founders that are listening to this podcast right now underneath it all I've had incredible experiences and I've worked with a lot of men male investors male founders male leaders male managers and I've seen this the the small amount of women that I've really been managed under like or who have managed me right or have been the leaders um, in my work experience I can say with just like total clarity the difference between men and women in business is it is striking and I really really believe that women in entrepreneurship we will change the world like we absolutely will change the world because when women have money and power cultures are very different but in order for us to get to where we need to be the the level we have to level the playing field a lot especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and funding. And so my final note on this very long episode just is my wish to communicate even a little bit more deeply on my why. My why with sharing my marketing secrets and my marketing for startups experience is to help you thrive because if you thrive and you do well and you can secure that funding and grow your business and become the next unicorn you will change the world and I want nothing more to to help you get there and to see how your business changed the lives of everyone that works for you, all the other women that you employ, or the women that look to you and what you've accomplished and what it inspires in them. This is like my true, truest calling. So 
I hope this wasn't a snooze fest and it gave you a little bit of context of, you know, how I've learned marketing and, you know, a little bit about my experience. As always, like, I would love to hear from you guys. You can DM me on LinkedIn. I'm Victoria Hager at LinkedIn, uh, my profile there. And if you want to hear about anything particular, just please send me a message. I'm always interested in how I could serve you better. I have a lot of knowledge about social media and branding and ads and, I mean, management, leadership, but I just don't know what you guys really want to hear. So please send me a message. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you back here next week. Thanks. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to the Marketing for Startups podcast and for sticking around till the end. It would mean so much to me if you could like and subscribe to this podcast. It's a great way of telling the world that this podcast has content worth listening to. And remember, you could always reach me at LinkedIn at Victoria Hajar or at UglyVentures.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week.